Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Grace Church. Please join me as we pray and hear God's word together. Our Father, we do think of the cross. We think of a heinous death and suffering and shame. But we're grateful today, Father, that the cross is empty and the tomb is not filled. We realize, Father, our salvation has come at great cost, even the suffering and death of your son, hanging in our place, but love kept him on that cross and helped him endure the pain and suffering, carrying the weight of sin our sin. So, Father, we revel in that forgiveness, realizing we've been given unmerited favor, great grace that we did not deserve. And I pray, Father, that our lives today would reflect that grace, that we would be motivated by that grace to love each other, and then also to love those outside of our silo, those that are in the shadows of life that many people don't see. We pray, Father, especially for those that are struggling today, those that are grappling with discouragement, those that are not sure of why they're living today, those that have been hurt or have experienced loss. Lord, we know that your son Jesus understands all. So we rest in him and his faithfulness. We appeal to you, Father, to act according to your nature. Faithful, loving, trustworthy. And we pray that others could see a difference in us as we give you more of us and trust you to meet all of our needs. We pray especially, Father, for the youth retreat today that there'd be young people that would come to Christ, come to a personal relationship with Jesus. For kids that are wavering in their sense of worth or wondering why they're here or struggling with anything, Lord, help them to know that they can personally know you through Jesus. We pray for first-time salvation. We also pray for rededication as you speak through the leaders and the speakers even this morning. And Lord, we're reminded this day as we look around and and experience online worship that we need each other. We're not ashamed to say that. We don't travel alone, and we're grateful that you provide a brother and sister next to us to walk with us. We're also grateful, Lord, that your indwelling Holy Spirit will meet all of our needs. Show us how to deny ourselves, letting go, of thinking that we know what's best for us. 
So Lord, speak through your servant this morning as Pastor Mike brings your word, your everlasting word, as we realize that only people and your word are eternal. So change us from the inside out. Be glorified today, Father, as we offer you our worship and as you make us a little bit more like Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. So the scripture reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 8, beginning at verse 31 through Mark, chapter 9, verse 1. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Well, before I get to preaching, just want to share with you that yesterday early in the morning, we welcomed our fourth grandchild, Paige Charlotte Hostetter, was born yesterday morning at about 1.45 a.m., She's doing well this morning. I've already received several pictures by text just to make sure that we all know that she's doing well. We received into our care on Friday night our three grandchildren, Cam at six, Gray soon to be four, Macy two years old. Can I tell you how wonderful it is to be here this morning all morning with you <laughs> and available to anyone who has afternoon you know, appointments, you want whatever I can do. One thing that no one told us we raise girls, only girls, and Jenny and I, no one ever told us that there's no intermission. We've been waiting all weekend for someone to call intermission with the boys, you know, that the boys would calm down, that they would slow down, that they would do something other than what they're doing. But um, yeah, they're active. They are really, really, really active. Did I mention how good it is to be here this morning <laughs> with you all? If Jenny is listening online, I'm in trouble when I get home. But anyway, <laughs> everyone has a cross to bear. <laughs> Have you ever heard someone say that? Have you ever said that yourself? It's a phrase that has its origins in the Bible, but it's found its way into the common everyday usage in our language, in our culture. And it often refers, when people use it, they refer to their problems or their challenges or their burdens in life by saying, well, I have a cross to bear, or that's my cross to bear. 
some people very sincerely refer to physical illness that they're going through as their cross to bear. Others will look at, at challenges relationally or maybe professionally, and they'll simply say, I have no way of knowing how to get out of this, but it certainly is my cross to bear. There are some who are rather frivolous with the usage of this. They have an ingrown toenail, and so for two months they've been limping around, and people say, what's wrong with you? Oh, it's my cross to bear because the podiatrist doesn't have appointments for six months due to COVID. I don't understand that, but anyway, you know, and that's my cross to bear, or I've given up chocolate for Lent, and that's my cross to bear. I mean, honestly, you can go 40 days without a Wilbur Bud. It's okay. You'll be fine. When I was traveling as the overseer for the denomination, true story, one man was telling me in a, in, after the service one Sunday about his family, and he said, you know, and, this, and he said, and then there's my mother-in-law. She's my cross to bear. You know what I mean. Like, I'm not going to wade into that water. No way. You know, and I'm thinking, why would you say that? But apparently she wasn't nearby. Unfortunately... In its migration into our everyday language, we have indeed trivialized a cross to bear. We've redefined it to suit our needs. And in the process, the very concept of bearing a cross has lost its spirit-anointed purpose from the hand of God in our lives. What does it really mean to bear a cross? How do we know if we're bearing a cross or simply bearing a burden in our lives? The answer to that, I think, is found when we remove all the filters through which we sometimes read Scripture. I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I know how there are these filters that we acquire through the years. And when we open the Word of God, we read Scripture sometimes through theological filters, or we read scripture through old wives' tales that we've been told that what the Bible says and it really doesn't say, and we read scripture through these filters. Listen, if we want to understand what, what it means to bear a cross, we need to remove all the filters and listen closely to what Jesus really says about bearing the cross. By the time we meet Jesus in Mark chapter 8, where we are lodged this morning. And I should tell you that a number of years ago, I preached a sermon about bearing the cross from the Matthew passage. He also speaks of it in Luke, but we are this morning in Mark chapter 8. By the time we meet Jesus in Mark chapter 8, he is focused on Jerusalem and the events that we call the Holy Week. We read in Mark 8.31 that Jesus began to teach his disciples. I want to read it again for you so you can understand the backdrop here. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Notice that Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what will happen to him. And notice that he is especially emphasizing the suffering that awaits him. It is Jesus's emphasis in this verse on suffering that draws the attention of one of his disciples in particular. And that disciple reacts, may I just say overreacts to what he hears Jesus say. Peter is alarmed by what he hears. Suffer many things at the hands of religious leaders killed. And so you know what Peter does? According to the word of God, he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. Now get that. Peter takes aside the son of God, the living God, and he rebukes 
the living God. Peter assumes that he knows better than Jesus. He refuses to accept what Jesus is saying is true. Matthew recounts that with a superior and critical attitude, Peter launches into Jesus, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus offers an equally forceful and frankly stunning reply, out of my sight, Satan, Jesus says. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Did your mother ever tell you that name calling is a bad thing? Anybody's mother ever tell you that? Only about five of you were told that. Man, <laughs> you are a harsh group. You know, my mother said you don't call people by name. It's all kinds of nasty names. You don't do that, Mike. So when you read this passage, you think, wow, whew, Jesus. Oh, rough, isn't it? A little harsh. Out of my sight, Satan? But when you go deeper, you find that Jesus is actually calling this encounter exactly what it is, an encounter with the devil. See, Peter has been overtaken by the power of the devil, and his words are emanating from Satan, not even himself. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins is so central to God's plan for our salvation that any effort to avoid the cross of Jesus Christ comes from the pit of hell, not from the throne room of heaven. It is the work of the devil. You know how we know that? Because in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was beginning his ministry and went out into the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted three times by the devil, the devil tried to get Jesus to take the easy way to God's throne and to avoid any and all suffering. Just worship me, Satan said to Jesus. So I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Away from me, Satan, Jesus said to the old devil. And here, in Mark chapter 8, he looks at Peter and he says, Out of my sight, Satan. Jesus said this because this was an encounter with the devil who wants us to downplay, if not remove, the cross completely from our belief and our theology. The devil will tell you that the cross is foolish and unnecessary. Jesus tells us that the cross is not only necessary, but absolutely essential if we want to be a follower of his. Friends, there is no life. There is no hope. There is no future without the cross. The very first time that I sang the wonderful cross, I had to pause and think, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross. It is wonderful. You notice that it's an empty cross because the one who died in your place and mine on that cross, as Pastor David reminded us, is risen 
and living and seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. This is a wonderful cross, Kenmech, because on that cross, Jesus took your sins and died in your place so that you would not have to die for your sins. That's true for you, Joe Ullman. That's true for you, Bill Williver. He died in your place, Sandy Milan, in your place. He took your sins so that you would not have to pay, that you could live in freedom in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? This is the wonderful cross, amen? The wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for that truth. That was true for Jesus. And as Jesus explains in verses 34 through 38, it's true for you and me. This morning I wanna show you three truths from this passage that help us to understand what it means to bear our personal cross. And here is the very first truth, and grab a hold of it in your mind. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself. Can you say that with me? If you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself. You know, self-denial means many things to many people. To some, it means giving up something for Lent, meat, desserts, chocolate, Facebook. To others, it means a kind of self-discipline whereby I, I go into a rigorous exercise plan, a, a rigorous diet, a rigorous kind of spiritual discipline as part of my self-denial. In the history of Christianity, there is a history of something called asceticism, where not just living a simple life, but I live an austere life, a sparse life, a spare life, all part of self-denial. Let me say to you this morning, there is a kernel of truth in each of these approaches to self-denial, but they all fall short of what Jesus really means about self-denial. Bible teacher Warren Wearsby notes that to deny self is not to deny things. To deny self is not to deny things. If that were true, that Biblical self-denial is to deny things. Then if I don't eat chocolate for 40 days, I can check that box and feel real good about myself because I have denied something for Jesus. That is not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus calls you and me to deny ourselves, he isn't saying that you need to give up something. You need to sell your house. You need to empty your bank account. You need to do this. You need to do that. What he is saying is you need to put me over you. I need to be first in your life and every part of your life. I need to be over you in everything you do. To deny self is to put Jesus first in our lives and not ourselves. Now, if we believe that Jesus is truly the one and only Lord and King of the universe, then we need to acknowledge that King Jesus has full control in our lives. And when it comes to who has control of my life, not only should Jesus be the King, he should be the only, the only King. There is no other. Only Jesus should control Mike Sigmund's life. And that means that I need to deny or put aside my own selfish desires, plans, and control, and let Jesus have his way with me. We need to deny ourselves, 
by putting Jesus over ourselves in our lives and in every part of our lives. Now, to further illustrate that truth and to help us put our minds and hearts around what Jesus expects of his believers, look at verse 34 again. And notice, secondly, that you deny yourself when you die to self. You deny yourself when you die to self. Say that with me. You deny yourself when you die to self. This is where Jesus introduces the cross as part of our daily lives in Christ. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross, he's saying that we need to put to death our own plans and desires, and he's saying that we need to turn our lives over to him and his will. Now, that may sound to you like Jesus wants to destroy all your hopes and your dreams and all the good times that you envision for yourself and your family. And if you're getting near retirement, that Jesus wants to be the joy sucker, take all the joy out of whatever you have planned. That's not true at all. Jesus is not a joy sucker who comes into your life and takes all the joy. He actually gives you joy in your life. Here's the deal. Jesus wants you to leave behind the less to follow the greatest. He wants you to be willing to surrender your plans, your desires, your vision for your life, and he wants you to follow his plans, his desires, and his vision for your life. His design is far greater than your design. Taking up your cross, Tim Keller writes, means to die to the control of your own life and to surrender control of your life to Jesus Christ alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died at the hands of the Nazis because of his faith in Jesus Christ, has written, we must be dead to our own will if we are to truly follow Christ. Here's the deal. To bear your cross is not to give up something for 40 days or six months or a year. It means to give up control of your life and give that control completely to Jesus Christ. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna meddle in your life, okay? Wanna do that, is that okay? Because even if it's not okay, I'm gonna do it. So here's what I wanna do. I want to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to think about these questions. And the questions begin with this phrase, have you given Jesus control over? Now, now listen, I'm talking this morning about have you had a deliberate, intentional conversation with Jesus about these areas of your life? where you have entered into prayer and dialogue with him with the intention of saying, Jesus, I want you to take control of this area of my life. And so Jesus, I'm gonna outline for you what I'd like and what I've been doing and what I think, but Jesus, I am all yours because here's the deal. I wanna do what you want, not what I want, okay? So let's start. Have you given Jesus control over either your profession or your retirement? Have you ever had an intentional, deliberate conversation where you have said to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be in complete control of what I do in life. 
And so you've laid that out to him, and you know that where you are right now in life is where he wants you to be. Here's the deal with retirement, and I've noticed this through the years. People go into retirement, and they have their plans for their retirement. And there's sort of this underlying, I deserve it kind of mentality. You know, I worked hard and long for 40 plus years. I deserve my retirement. I'm gonna do what I wanna do finally in my life. All the kids are out of the house. They're gone. You know, I'm gonna do what I want. Now, here's the deal. If we're followers of Jesus, that's not the right way to approach retirement. The right way to approach retirement is to say, now, Jesus, I've come to the end of 40 years of working. And, and the kids are out of the house, and um, I got a bunch of time here, and, and Jesus, what do you want me to do? I want to give you control of my profession or my retirement. I told you I was going to meddle, and that's just, that's just scratching the surface. So let's go a little deeper. Have you given Jesus control over your children? Have you given him control over your children? I'm not talking about a uh, 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 an infant or a child dedication. They're beautiful and they're wonderful. We love them here at Grace Community. Now I'm talking about the intentional, deliberate conversation Jenny and I had to have when the girls were coming along. Jesus, if you want to use our girls halfway around the world on a mission field, they're yours. We just take our hands off. We're going to raise them to know and love you. We're going to do everything we can to nurture them. But these girls are yours, and you do what you want. Have you given Jesus control over your children? Thirdly, have you given Jesus control over your money? Huh? Yeah. Well, I don't have any. Well, that's another reason to give him control. You know, I have a lot. Well, yeah, I don't want him to mess with that. Well, have you given him control over your money? Look at what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 37, Pastor Steve read it, read it again with me. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the one with most toys at the end doesn't win. So have you had a deliberate, deliberate, intentional conversation with Jesus about your money. Let me ask you another question. Have you given Jesus control over your church life? This is one where we like to keep control. It's called church on my terms. I will go as often as I want. I will do whatever I want. But this is his church. This is his body. So it's not church on my terms. It's church on his. So Jesus, you know what? I've been holding on to this a little too long, so I want to have a conversation with you, Jesus. And I want to I let go of church on my terms, and I want you to have control. You know what's interesting? Gallup polls and Barna research polls are indicating that a very high percentage of American Christians are allowing COVID to decide their church involvement and not Jesus. I'm not talking about those who genuinely 
can't and aren't comfortable coming into large crowds. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about those who have absented themselves from the richness of the body of Christ because it's just become too comfortable to just kick back, have the chocolate chip pancakes at home, tune in, turn the song off if I don't like it, turn the preacher on when I do, turn him off if he's getting a little bit too meddling right now. You know, I'm asking a serious question. And for those of us in church, are we really doing what he wants us to do? And are we growing the way he wants us to grow? It's a good conversation to have with Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Have you given Jesus control over your attitude? Have you ever had an upfront conversation with the God of the universe? And have you ever said to him, now, Jesus, what do you think of my attitude? Have you ever given Jesus control over that emotion that you wrestle with almost every day? Anxiety, fear, anger, that critical spirit, that stubborn streak. Well, my grandmother was stubborn just like me. I get it honestly. And her mother was stubborn too. Now just imagine yourself standing before the throne of God in heaven saying, Jesus, well, you know, I'm stubborn because my grandmother was stubborn and her mother before her was stubborn. And can you hear Jesus saying, yeah, I couldn't do a thing with them either. I mean, honestly, right? I mean, how ridiculous is that? And yet we say that kind of stuff all the time. Have you had a conversation with Jesus about your life and death? For the first years of Mark chapter eight, this was a real issue. Am I willing to die for Jesus? You know, we don't have to wrestle with that so much here in the United States, but did you know that Afghanistan has now become the number one country in the world where it is most dangerous to be a Christian, according to the World Watch List? Just happened in the past two months. Do you know that China is not far behind it? May I just say to you this morning that all the fake snow in the universe cannot be a veneer for the heinous human rights crimes committed by the host of this year's Olympics. Tragic. And yet believers in Afghanistan and in China and in North Korea and in Saudi Arabia and 46 other countries on the world watch list have to actually have a conversation with Jesus about whether they're willing to control their own death or give it over to him. It's not so much that we have a physical cross to bear. It's that every one of us have a life to give to Jesus Christ. Every part of every part of our lives. And friends, let me just say this to you. It's a process. I'll just be very honest with you, and you can tell me later if this happens to you, but here's how Mike Sigmund rolls. One of the areas that I find hardest to give control to Jesus over is my church. Grace Community is my church. I'm the lead pastor of this church. And so I hold on to the church, and then every day in the morning I say, Jesus, 
I am gonna let you have control. It is your church, it is not mine. I take my hands off it. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, I take it back. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, I give it to him. And by one o'clock, I take it back. You ever do that? You ever give Jesus something and take it back? Huh, did you ever do that? Oh, I know you did, because I do it too. We're human, we're weak. And here's the deal, God calls us to surrender all that we are and all that we have to him. And when we realize we've taken it back, give it back to him again. Give it back to him again. You have to die to self to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Listen, in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And the best time to become his disciple is right now. There is one more truth that I want you to, to see in this word, and that is that when you die to self, you will have no regrets. Say that with me. When you die to self, you will have no regrets. That's what Jesus means when he says in Mark chapter eight, verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Friends, hear me when I say this. If you refuse to give control of your life to Jesus, if you refuse to surrender to him, first in salvation and then daily in your walk with him, All that you have, it will be lost. And it will not end well. You will lose whatever you have without Christ. You will lose your soul. This is the sobering truth that Jesus speaks in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Surrender your life to him first in salvation by believing that Jesus died for your sins, rose again on the third day, lives today, and receiving him as Savior and Lord of your life, and then living daily, bearing your cross, literally meaning that you surrender every part of every part of you. And when the Lord shows you yet another area of life that you haven't given control over, you say, Jesus, here it is. I wanna give this to you too. I wanna give this to you too. I wanna give this to you too. And you take your hands off your life and you take your hands off of every area of your life and you say, Jesus, you can be trusted and I surrender it all to you, all to you. From the time I was a little boy, my dad collected Hess trucks for me. He'd wait in line on Columbia Avenue on the day after Thanksgiving to be the first to get a Hess truck when they were limited editions. He'd bring them home, and, and as was the case in the Sigmund house, you didn't play with it, you kept it in the box because someday you're gonna have a public sale and it's gonna give you so much money that you can retire on it. And so a bunch of us guys have a load of Hess trucks that we're never gonna retire on because the price of the things have dropped into the tank. You know, you with me on that? So you know what? When the girls came along, Jenny said, why don't we let the girls play with the Hess trucks? Finally, when they turned 18, I agreed, they could play with the Hess trucks. <laughs> By the time the boys came along, Jenny said, you gotta let go of the Hess trucks. I said, we'll let go of the Hess trucks, but I'm gonna keep all 32 boxes. 
and we sold those, we actually threw those out during COVID. So we have a six-year-old Cam who loves the Hess trucks. Two years ago when he really got into Hess trucks, this is what he'd do. He'd bring a Hess truck to me. Now you know that they're, they have lights and they have sirens and they have beeps and all kinds of things and they have three places for batteries and you know, you have to keep replacing the batteries because nobody remembers to turn it off. But anyway, that's another issue. He brings me the Hess truck and he says, Papa, the Hess truck needs batteries. Okay, Cam, give me the Hess truck. No, I'll carry it. Okay, we're gonna go to the garage and get to the garage. I pull the batteries off the battery holder and I say, now, Cam, give me the truck and I'll open the places and I'll put the batteries. No, I'll hold it. Well, Cam, I'm tall and you're small and I can't get down there. Well, you can get down. I said, okay, I'll get down. And with my screwdriver, I unscrew the places where the batteries go and I have the two AA batteries and now, uh, uh, Cam, let me put the batteries. No, I'll put the batteries in. Oh, Cam, now, I don't know that you know. I know how to put the batteries in. So he puts them in backwards. There's no light, no siren. Papa, you gave me the wrong batteries. No, Cam, I didn't. No, they're the right batteries. Can you give me the truck? No, I'll hold the truck. I said, I need to turn the batteries around. You take them out, Papa. Give them to me. Show me the right way. I'll put them in. Okay, Cam, I'll do that. Now, Cam, I need to screw the the lid back on, can, can I say, no, I'll hold it, okay, Cam. About a year ago, he came to me with a Hess truck and he said, Papa, it needs batteries. I said, okay, Cam, can I have it? No, I'll carry it. I said, okay, we got to the garage. I said, what are the chances that I could now take the Hess truck and, oh, you can have it, Papa. I said, okay, thank you. And I replaced the batteries and gave it back to him, and he carried it back in the house. Here last week, he brought a Hess truck helicopter to me. He said, this isn't working, Papa. It needs batteries. I said, can I take it? He said, yeah. I said, were you going with me? No. Bring it back when you're done. I trust you. So how are you with your Father in heaven? Lord, I need help with this. Well, you give it to me, Mike. Well, I'm not, not really ready to give it to you. I just, what do you think? I'd like to hold on for a little bit longer. And so we kind of go in a wrestling match with Jesus on it. Or we might get to the point where, uh, Jesus, I really need help with this, and well, Jesus says, can you give it to me? Well, I don't, I'm not quite ready to do that. But could you at least tell me what you think? Or do you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, this doesn't work. Here. I trust you. Do whatever you need to do to make it work. Here's what I've learned in life. Jesus will give you all you need if you give him all you have.
Let's pray. I know, Lord, that in preparing this message, you showed me some areas of my life where I would have liked to have said I had given you complete control, but I haven't. We've had some conversation about those areas. We still have more conversation. And I suspect that's true for my brothers and sisters who are here in this room and also online with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would identify for every believer in worship today at least one area of their lives where they are holding on and keeping control, having not yet even talked to you about that area. And I pray that through the conviction of your Holy Spirit, every believer here in this room and online will in these next 24 hours have serious conversation with you about that area of life that they have far too long controlled and that you want them to surrender taking up their cross by dying to self and making you Lord over whatever that area of life may be. Move and work powerfully in hearts and lives. Even right now, Lord, Bring a word picture, an image into minds and hearts that people will immediately know what it is in their life that you want to control, that you want them to surrender to you. Because Jesus, we want to live full and free lives in Christ. And we don't do that until we are fully surrendered to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.